0: a dog or something like it doesn't have to be humanist necessarily Go- the, the the goats that changed the Roman Empire I think that would be a great game to that play would Actually, be that great. Kind of, that I would, would be play awesome. that yeah well, kind of be awesome
1: knowing Romans yeah
0: From the History Watch Project, this is the History Watch Podcast Series, bringing you up close and personal with history in the real world, with some help from people who know what they're talking about.
2: I'm Alba Badshay, and on today's episode of the History Watch
0: Podcast Series,
2: we welcome Dr. Sean Graham and Dr. Daniel Kinsey of Carleton University. Join us as we talk history and video games, problems, and possibilities.
1: To begin with, we start with the history of video gaming. Well, the, the history of video games goes back to the 60s at least, mm-hmm. with um, uh, folks at MIT and, and different, uh, different places just trying to do things with the computers they had access to simply because they could. And, and when you look at the, the history of digital computing, Further back, it's tied to ballistics and the calculation of trajectories for uh, um, for artillery and and anti-aircraft fire. So the the idea of shooting something is literally hard coded, hard wired into computing from the word go. But I mean, when we when we do history, and and there's so many people working on 20th century things. uh, Video games are integral to the 20th century, and uh, larger narratives of Cold War, and sure. and then even further back with Kriegspiele and and, and tabletop wargaming uh, into the nineteenth century, and even further back if you you look at Go or chess or
0: mm-hmm.
1: any of those sorts of games.
0: Right. Did you do you refine um, because I was teaching so much uh, History One Thousand One, the Making mm-hmm. of Europe, that content of the video games would would come into the class discussions anyway, so that there would, um, because so many games are all about a historical context where you learn all the different guns that were involved in whatever battle or different troops or whatever, very military history, Mm -hmm. um, that a lot of my students knew a ton of things that, I'll be honest with you, not only did I know, but I will never know. Um, just sort of a level of detail about helmets and tanks and stuff that, that these games delivered to them and sort of um, had them basically memorize, <laughs> had them learn. Um, and, and they did so brilliantly, right? I mean, they were masters of these games. Right? right. And so, and they wanted to know about these details in class, and I just mm-hmm. didn't know um, what to do with them in terms of larger historical significance, these sorts of questions that we ask in class. And so, sort of the games. Um, I don't know. They they sort of um, made themselves known in class, regardless of whether I wanted to do it or not. Right? Yeah. Like, I it's there. You have to yeah. deal with
1: it. Yeah, it's it's a kind of antiquarianism, right? Oh yeah. When when you get people, the the surface levels of these games with their visual fidelity, or it's the correct, um, you know, it's an eighteen sixty seven Snyder Enfield, and those weren't.
0: Sounds like a mm-hmm. a gun. <laughs> well,
1: okay. I, I, I used to be in, Fort, uh, in the Fort Henry Guard. Oh, That's what we okay, right, okay, and, and, nice. And you got, but you got the same kind of issues there that you would get in living history museums where people would be up in arms.
0: <laughs> uh, strong. Strong Thank fun.
1: Thank you. Over things like, well, the, the cut of the uniform is incorrect for the right. period that you're trying to depict. Right. So a lot of the issues that... Uh, Video games have on the surface are the same kinds of issues that I think living history museums deal with, or uh, movies, or TV shows, or those Canadian historical minutes, you know, that sort of thing.
2: (laughs) So people seek authenticity in these games, tiny
0: details, right? Tiny Tiny details, but But the larger narrative or larger historical significance or larger context, Mm -hmm. cultural context—dare I say it—cultural context is uh, iffy.
1: It's iffy, and. And the thing is, with a lot of these games, the basic mechanics are always the same. So you could, you could flip it tomorrow, and the people would change sides, and the game fundamentally hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. So,
0: do you mean in terms of it's like it's just risk on a different day? Um, in terms of you know world domination, you're a singular player trying to spread your troops out of the world or whatever.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, the. And uh, I find a, a lot of students when we do start get when we do start talking about games, uh, they they get them on? yeah yeah if you flip they get fixated on the, the visual things the surface level right. the antiquarianism the, the the stamp collecting aspect of it mm. and they miss out that not
0: that stamp collectors are bad people, sorry <laughs> no I, I did know.
1: a PhD in stamp collecting it's quite <laughs> already, yeah literally um,
0: archaeology. Okay. Roman stamp bricks. <laughs> it's
1: it's the underlying mechanics. I think the, where the deeper connection with history comes, right? Right. Because I did I did a lot of work in simulation before turning to games, as games just being another class of simulation. Mm-hmm. And you can express historical arguments in code, in algorithms, in that you allow for certain kinds of experiences to happen and not others. Mm. And it's that level when you start looking at civilization at the level of the code and the fact that all of the European powers are all described at the level of code as being perfectly identical. Right. But First Nations literally have no agency. You you can turn them on as a playable character, Mm. but you... Don't have the full range of options. Right. They are
0: the technological tree is not available. Exactly, I mean, in ways, and, yeah.
1: and the and the technological tree itself, and that kind of determinism. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah, and which is very old school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I don't know where it comes from. Perhaps archaeology. No, I don't know, <laughs> guess a, well, just like Bronze co- Age, culture, yeah, culture world.
1: history, which had currency up until the '40s, more or less. Mm-hmm. But and Sid Mayer didn't set it to write the perfect history game, he set it to make a game.
0: Sure,
1: right. And yeah. he's famously said a game is a series of interesting choices. So, to fault him for not doing good history is... It's not his
0: intention. It wasn't his right. intention.
1: Yeah. But what is cool about Civ is that you can open it up now, and look at the rules, and mm-hmm. look at how things interact, you can examine things like the, the way Religion is vision within this game world, sure. and the idea that it does encapsulate a worldview, a theory of the world, uh, you know, all the rest of it. And you can say to students, All right, make it better. Or what are the consequences of this? Mm-hmm. Like, if you, if you play a game well, if you're really good at a game, then you must understand the underlying mm-hmm. theory of the world. Mm-hmm. And that's the interesting thing for me because nobody ever interrogates that. And that's where it starts bleeding into things like public history or public mm-hmm. or, or why why we should even offer a class on games.
2: So you raised a really interesting point. Um, which i actually never even thought of before this that the people who make these games definitely have like a vision of history that they bring to it either consciously or subconsciously um, And then that kind of gets circulated back into a wider public and then they bring that to the classroom. Yeah, say. Um So what are maybe some of the problems that come out of this or the complexities that people don't necessarily think of? So I mean we can talk about this kind of obsession with like the small details um, but you were both kind of hinting at this the larger historical conscious uh, or
0: consciousness yeah, yeah, that
2: comes out of this um,
0: well, I think um, I think Sean sort of hit on it before there's a teleology to it, which is just sort of um, hindsight is twenty twenty right so some a lot of games are built up where um, it is not not all civilizations are equal. Um, nor, nor do they need to be in terms, of not, in terms of difference being the race because that would, that would be a problem in and of itself. Right. Right? But um, the, contingency is lost. the contingency is lost, and so it's impossible to play the game without uh, a certain country in Europe winning, for example. Um, or it's, it's a lot harder to play the game without uh, Europe winning. Okay. If winning means technological development in a certain mm-hmm. militaristic way, um, this sort of backward-looking kind of, kind of stuff. And so I think those assumptions are sometimes built too readily into the game. Um, or, for example, uh, things like not having any women in the game right. seems a, a historical inaccuracy, <laughs> a pretty fundamental historical yeah. inaccuracy. But it, it sort of builds in the assumption that mm-hmm. women are not Significant in history, in in history and development in anything, Mm -hmm. um, they're not sort of moving forward a narrative, right? Which is is extremely problematic, (laughs) I I would think. Um, And so, just sort of those basic assumptions that don't get interrogated in the space of the game and haven't been sort of our old school uh, narratives of historical development that go back to the 19th century Mm -hmm. that sort of are alive in our popular culture and sort of in in the academy, we critique all the time. But right. maybe perhaps that doesn't get out into the public mm-hmm. sphere as much. Um, gets gets um, I don't know reproduced.
1: Well, there was a, a recent kerfuffle where a video game company was taken to task by its fans and its players for for not having women in mm-hmm. one of their titles, and one of the developers said, well actually it's just harder to code. But, um, it's
0: more work. It's more work. Interesting. Something to that effect. Huh.
1: And of course you can you can imagine Dudes how that so code. but <laughs> like, well dude, codes, like, dude code is yeah. like two lines
0: women code. Yeah, I
1: <laughs> But I think it, it it actually ties into a deeper misogyny that exists in video game culture mm. that is well it's astonishing from a simple business perspective because it, right it yeah. s-
0: who buys the games mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. are they marketing to yeah and, et cetera, et cetera.
1: And, and there are huge communities of uh, free games with wide demographics everything. Mm-hmm. like it, it's it's just bad business sense, yeah. Yeah. let alone bad anything else but it it then feeds back, the way you were describing, into the kinds of games that are deemed to be popular or mm-hmm. possible. There's a game called Depression Quest, which is an interactive fiction which is profoundly moving, profoundly affecting uh, for experiencing life as a, as a sufferer of depression. Wow. Mm-hmm. And we played that in one of my classes because I was just sick and tired of people... Shoot 'em ups. Yep. Shoot 'em ups. Yeah. Talking about the visual acuity, mm-hmm. fidelity, the right guns, the proper buttons, the, yes. the right ten things, mm-hmm. and we played Depression Quest in the class, and that was really amazing to see people, students, starting to to get that there's something deeper going on than just
0: mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. just the graphics. Mm-hmm. So. Which means games could be a very powerful way of. Mm-hmm. Of, um for academics I think speaking to the public about complex historical narratives etc cetera, etc cetera. if we could only build it if we could
1: but we can we build it can. We we can. Can. We have build. the power ran
0: away from it yeah
1: well, Steve Jobs has done more to harm the the creative aspect of mm. computing than anybody else right because he's got these wonderful magical devices that do stuff with the just pointing. Right? So there's never any need to open the hood and to figure out how to make things work or how to do things or to even understand that there are algorithms happening in the background that are framing your right. perspective on right. the world right. through your device. And even if students are never going to code another thing in their life, I think working with the interactive fiction and the text and seeing this sort mm-hmm. of thing and seeing that they can create. experience. It just opens up a whole world of of understanding what's happening. Sure. Right? So, like, far beyond history, it's uh, oh, well, let's man (laughs) the (laughs) biographies.
0: Well, but I mean, in some ways, teaching people how to open up a video game and understand the assumptions that are built into that game Mm -hmm. and like big assumptions about how the world works basically Mm -hmm. that are built into that game. It's not so different from what we would do with any um, textbook or any sort of historical narrative. Yeah, Yeah, it's just another narrative of the movie, whatever. Mm -hmm. It's just another narrative where you have to open it up and see what are the assumptions that are built into this. Um, And I mean for video games it's I think the level, there's a technical level to it of code, (laughs) which is a scary word, right? I mean, especially for historians Just call it text and everybody's happy. Exactly. A textual analysis of the code. Lovely. Beautiful. (laughs) Oh, there's Um, amazing people doing that.
1: Mark Sample, Nick Mofford, lots of...
0: uh, people doing it. Wonderful. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, I completely believe that. So, yeah, so it's not... it's not necessarily a new direction. Yeah. It's just um, another, another 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 direction for us to go in. That is now part of the zeitgeist.
1: Yeah. But uh, but it's it's extraordinarily important for people to be doing this because the way that games force you to perform their vision mm-hmm. of the world. Yeah. In order for you to understand it or to to play it or explore in a way that a book never does. Uh, I think it's Brenda Romero uh, who has a game called Train. It's not a video game, it's actually a tabletop mm-hmm. game. And the idea is it's a kind of management sim. Mm-hmm. So if you played SimCity or any of those kinds of games, yeah. similar idea. And basically, you're trying to move a product most effectively from point A to point B using these train cars. And over the course of the game, it becomes quite apparent that what you are moving are humans. And the, the trains that are involved are going to the camps. So, interesting. Very and interesting. what is really particularly uh, striking about that is the way many people will stop playing once they understand what the game is actually about. Mm-hmm. But other people will keep playing just to win. Right. Even
0: though They're they, already invested in winning. Even though yeah. they know what is at stake, as it So it's a, its own psychological experience about yeah. morality and ethics and yeah. things of that nature
1: yeah. huh. and that's something that we find very difficult to explore in a regular history class sure. in a way that's effective mm-hmm. and effective right so this this kind of uh, exploration mm. can be called yeah I mean,
0: if, fascinating if history is about understanding humanity mm-hmm. humanness etc right This this kind of uh, stark contingency. Yeah.
1: Well, these are big ticket issues too. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I think that's something that games can let us access again because we don't do that in our formal academic writing. Mm-hmm. Right? We disappear yeah. up our own backsides as we try to <laughs> understand some <laughs> incredibly.
0: So there's a footnote. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. But games
1: reassert the the big issues.
0: Mm -hmm. They do. They they force you to have a a larger vision. Yeah. Yeah. And this is one of the, the great um, values of military history. It's always very about contingency and sort of what if, what if, what if. And I think that's what, what a lot of the games are about, too. Um, and so it sort of is a, is a type of history that lends itself very well to gamification, um, whereas perhaps uh, cultural history isn't so much like that. But it could be. It could be. It could I be. mean, there's
1: a piece by Emily Short called Galatea, which is a an interactive fiction, and so the, the story of Galatea is the, the statue that comes to life. Mm. Anyways, it's a one room game, and the only thing you can do is talk to the statue that has just come to life at an exhibition showing. And how the game um, progresses depends on how you how the conversation looks. Like, so that there are right. there could be other methods. And so she has um, just released the game on uh, iPad. would be a much better story if I could remember the title of the game. <laughs> However, the point being, it's uh, it's connected with Roman history, and it's um, it's more of a social aspect of
0: things. Good. Yeah. So, it's pos- so, so then sort of the cultural history game would be more about conversation, negotiation. Would you say? instead? It couldn't be a shooting up, obviously. What could it? Depends on the culture, the <laughs> <laughs> ah, right? Right. The culture of the trenches—you'd have like a little conversation with your trench buddy, and then over the top. <laughs>
1: well, uh, it, it, well no, it's, it's funny you should bring that up. In uh, the last time I did my video games class, one of the most moving pieces that the students developed was a, a, a game connected with World War One in the trenches, but from the perspective of a medic.
2: Oh, nice. Okay. And yeah, the okay. idea
1: was that. You don't know whether this medic is on the Allied side or right. the, 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 right. the, the Germans or, or or what have you, but they framed it as a series of choices that you had to make that were ultimately futile, that the people around you were going to die. And wow. that's World War I and so there was shooting up you could hear the, the shells and the the screen would shake occasionally, but you yourself were never that kind of participant, it wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't that, and so it's that social history, I don't know, I don't know if an
0: archaeologist,
1: <laughs> but the point, you know, it,
0: yeah. it, can, it can do these things. So it's not merely a matter of um, what you're showcasing, but also what perspective you're showcasing, and so that's something that, that yeah. we have yet to sort of fully plumb, is sort of different viewpoints that we can allow into this mm-hmm. world. Different viewpoints,
1: yeah. limited agency. Yeah, you know, it wasn't a game on rails, but there were very clear things that you might want to do that you simply couldn't do. Right, and and that being confronted with that as a player, mm-hmm. can you really right
0: instead of empowering the players Napoleon or whatever exactly. you are in a different subject position within a right. historical exactly. context. Yeah,
1: I mean, yeah, uh, I've got a, a Napoleon-based war shooter type game in my office, mm-hmm. and yeah, he, he plays Napoleon, but. Right what would that game be like if you were of the rank right. and file? Right.
0: Or in a village waiting <laughs> for <laughs> the Grand <laughs> Army to come. Yeah. And just like a glacier just found
1: you. But yeah. Isn't, it, isn't it, Wasn't there a, a recent movie with Tom Cruise where he keeps dying all the time and keeps trying? Or very video game-like. Oh, like,
0: yeah, a Emily story.
2: Blunt. I it's nice. called. <laughs>
1: Again, a better story if we can yeah. remember the details.
0: Right.
1: But, yeah. But you know, That right. perspective is mm. a other.
2: Right.
0: But even like Tom Cruise, uh, you, you, you're you whatever, um, able-bodied white dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if we have others on the spectrum of humanity <laughs> who are not... Um, you know your your typical dominant yeah. um, masculine archetype, dominant racial archetype, etc., yep. etc. Et yep. Then it gets way more interesting, especially in terms of um, building empathy among students um, for people in different positions who are all just trying to negotiate their way through the system. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that does a lot of work. I mean, one, one of the one of the things I have my students do in my in my Empires and Globalization class um, is, you know, critique empires and popular culture and Star Wars always comes up over and over again.
1: Decline and fall of the Roman Empire source material
0: for nothing. Well and and the right. Um, only that would be very, very rich compared to the, the empire that is showcased in Star Wars, which <laughs> appears to have like a like a, a fuzzy, very, very fuzzy economy. Um Right, like we don't know how the empire actually works in uh-huh. terms of economic
1: exploitation, we, we which is what empires for, right? Rome either, so there you go.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think we know a little bit more. I, I think Rome was all about bricks, wasn't it? Oh,
1: and you want a good time reading Roman economic history paper? <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, but so we can dramatize this in video games, right? Economic yeah. exploitation <laughs> made fun, uh, fun for the whole family. Um, yeah, and so sort of uh, the. The the um I don't know, simplicity of how an empire works is often showcased in the video game in very brutal ways. Right. But the everyday negotiations, mm-hmm. when um you know killing everyone who's colonized <laughs> is not not a realistic option because I mean at the very least empires require people to do work. Right. Um for economic exploitation. Right. Um and sort of. Cultural appropriation and uh, cultural hybridity and all of these things that we see manifest in empires tend not to come out into video games, mm-hmm. but I am hopeful um, that, that we can begin to see that. Um, and then we can begin to play with sort of the boundaries of empires. A lot of, speaking about historical teleology again, mm-hmm. a lot of the boundaries of what an empire is is sort of supposed to be obvious. What the British Empire is supposed to be obvious. Right. Um, and then the video game allows you to expand mm-hmm. outwards from a, from a metropole or something like this. But perhaps, what if we start talking about empires in terms of companies, which I think. Games are are starting to do, yeah. um, but sort of well, there, expanding so, the definition of empire,
1: I yeah. guess. Well, there's the thing with empire-type games is that they're often god games, god yeah, exactly, games, right, yeah. and so that brings into an interesting yeah. aspect of who's actually doing the right, the the, the directing, the pushing.
0: The and emperor.
1: So. There's a the <laughs>
0: <laughs> the player emperor, emperor. Yes. Well, yeah.
1: Well, I mean, Roman emperor was a god, so that's okay. Right.
0: But, or in Star Wars. The evil emperor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, then you scratch the surface of any imperial history and you find that it's, it's nobody sitting down making all these decisions. It's not totalitarian like that, it's it's a bunch of different historical mm-hmm. contingencies of all sorts of people. Um, that's where things like agent based
1: modeling can, right. can be helpful, but that's a conversation for another day. stuff going on in games too that we could talk about that don't necessarily have to deal with the way games reflect the world or so on and so forth but rather the things that we do within games and how that deals with historical consciousness like there are ideas Mm -hmm. of uh, memorialization within games there's always the abandoned museum or the uh, the ruin or the Mm -hmm. In Fallout 3, there's you can reconstruct the history of that world by going around and finding people's diaries and finding teleprompter screens with text on, and so on. There's a historical consciousness
0: within the game. Yeah, yeah, and and how that ties back
1: into what we do in terms of memorialization Mm -hmm. in the the, the real world here inside the matrix. Right.
2: I learned a lot.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: You're welcome. You are listening to Dr. Sean Graham and Dr. Danielle Kinsey. Dr. Kinsey is a historian of 19th century Britain and empire, global history, and comparative women's and gender history. Her upcoming book looks at the 19th century global diamond trade and metropolitan consumer culture. You can learn more about Dr. Kinsey's work on the Carleton History Department website. Dr. Graham is an archaeologist and digital humanist with the History Department of Carleton University. To hear some of Dr. Graham's talks and lectures, you can visit the university's History Department website or go to electricarchaeology.ca. His latest book will be available in May 2015. Music in today's episode was by Kevin MacLeod. I'm Arpita Bajbe. Thanks for tuning in.
0: podcast series is coordinated by dr audra dipty and produced and edited by arpita bajpayee to learn more about the history watch project dr Dipti and arpita visit us at historywatchproject.com you can also find the full-length versions of podcasts and links to our other projects on our website thanks for tuning in goodbye